things tonight, so go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read this chapter. It's made up of 10 verses. 1 John chapter 1. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. John giving his testimony about his personal uh, witnessing and knowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message that we have read, heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And let's pray. Father, once again, thank you for this blessed book. Thank you for the inerrant, infallible, divinely uh, inspired and preserved word that you put into our hands that we might have a more sure word of prophecy and we thank you and praise you for the many wonderful blessings we receive as we read your word and study your word. Now, Lord, tonight we'd ask that you'd bless once again in the preaching as we examine this idea of sin in the believer's life. Might you speak to us and minister to us, challenge us, and Lord, correct us, convict us, whatever the need might be about this matter of sin in the believer's life. Lord, we thank you that we can have forgiveness, that you've made provision. You've said in your word, if we confess, you'll forgive. And we thank you and praise you for that, that heart of mercy and grace that you show to us. Now bless this time we're going to spend together. I pray and I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to, I'm not up there, Aiden, back here. The dangers of sin in the believer's life is what we're going to look at this evening. Wouldn't it be great if we're able to live a sinless life? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have to fight a constant battle against sin? Certainly, we as Christians long for that day when sin's temptations are gone and the battle is over. Yet we all know that as long as we live in our mortal bodies and tread this earth, we're going to have the battle against sin. Sadly, there are far too many Christians who are losing this battle against sin. 
Now, we all understand that none of us can live in sinless perfection. We understand, and John even talks about that in the first chapter here, how if we say we have no sin, we lie. We deceive ourselves. We make him a liar. So we understand we're not going to be able to live sinless perfection. All of us are going to lose the battle against sin from time to time. However, there are far too many Christians who live in sin and practice sin regularly and openly. And that ought not to be. Those who truly know the Lord and love the Lord, according to John, are to walk in the light and not in the darkness of sin. In verse 9 of our text, John reveals that God has made provision for believers to have forgiveness and cleansing from our sin. These are promised to those who will confess our sins to God. When we see the word confess, we need to understand that it, it means more than just telling God what we did. Uh, it's, it's to agree with God about what we did, to repent of our sin, and to turn from it and deal with it. Now, this evening's message concerns the need for believers to deal with the sin in their life. We must not allow sin to continue in our lives because sin any and all sin will bring unpleasant, painful, destructive results in our lives. We need to recognize the dangers of sin and purpose not to practice sin in our lives. I want to give you some reasons for that. Why each of us must purpose not to practice sin in our lives. Well, number one, because when we sin, our fellowship with God is broken. Go back to verses 6 and 7 of our text. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, God does not leave us when we sin. We understand that we are eternally saved. He says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In John chapter 10, the gospel of John chapter 10, it talks about this. Go over there for just a minute. The 10th chapter of the gospel of John. Where we see our eternal security revealed once again by the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 27 I've never seen the Bible whose pages stick together like this one. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. When we get saved, we are secure in Christ. We are saved forever. All who are saved have eternal security. Uh, in the Bible, we're, we're, we're not taught that if we sin, we lose that. Uh, on the contrary, we're taught that we are secure, and we've seen those verses. All who are saved are now born into the family of God. When you got saved, you were birthed into God's family. Jesus said, you must be born again. 
He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then over in, in John chapter 1, it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, children of God, even to them that believe on his name. It gives the authority. It gives the, the potentially opportunity to become a child of God. So at that instant, when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to save you, you became a child of God. And uh, saved people uh, have experienced a new birth, being born again uh, by the water and by the Spirit. And saved people are now new creatures. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things pass away, all things become new. So you're born again as a new creature. Uh, God doesn't just remake the old one. He creates a, a new creature, and uh, that's the saved person. Saved people become babes in Christ. In Colossians or Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says that he couldn't, he couldn't give the Corinthians the meat of the word. He had to give them milk. Peter talks about uh, we need to desire the sincere milk of the word uh, as newborn babes. And so when we get saved, we're just babes in, in the Lord's family. I've often said nobody gets born grown up. And it's true spiritually as well. When you come to Christ, you're a baby in Christ, and now there's a growth process that's supposed to take place. But we are in this family. And, you know, disobedience and sin cannot undo a birth that's taken place. Uh, A Christian's sin and disobedience can't change the fact that he or she has been born into the family of God. And it's kind of, let's liken it to a human family. Uh, How many of you have children? Okay, now I want you to be real honest. How many of you have children that never disobeyed you? You're being honest. Yes, our children from time to time will disobey and disappoint us. But we don't kick them out of the family. They're still our children. Now, we'll correct them and we'll try to get them on the right path and those kind of things. But we don't disown them because uh, they've disobeyed us. Any more than God would disown us because we disobey him or sin against him. No, 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 a thousand times no. But when we do sin, it interrupts the fellowship we have with our Heavenly Father. While our relationship father-child relationship with God cannot be broken because of sin, our fellowship can be broken and will be broken if we choose to sin and uh, practice sin, and that's ongoing sin. Now, I thought about Adam and Eve. If you remember, uh, prior to their partaking of what they weren't supposed to partake of, uh, God came down and fellowshiped with them and would walk with them in the garden and talk with them. But after they fell and after they partook of the sin, that fellowship was cut off and they had to be put out of the garden. And God didn't come down and fellowship with them anymore. You see, sin interrupts our fellowship with God. It interrupts our communication with him. You know, over in Psalm 66 and verse 18, the psalmist writes, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. So if you have ongoing sin in your life and you're practicing sin on a regular basis, uh, your prayers aren't going to go any further than that ceiling. Why? Because God says he's not going to hear you until you take care of that sin problem. Not only that, the power of God is lost to those who practice sin. 
Sin interrupts our communication, and then sin robs us of the power of God in our life. I thought about Joshua chapter 7, and uh, most of us know the story of how when they took Jericho, a man named Achan decided he was going to violate what God said, and he took some of the riches and some of the good stuff from Jericho and hid it in his tent. Well, nobody knew about it but God. But see, God's enough, amen? And uh, so then the next thing, the Israelites go up against a little podunk hollow uh, Ai, and uh, they only send 3,000 men up there because Ai is just a little, little village-type thing, but they get whooped. And the men come back, and, and, and Joshua goes to the Lord, and what's the matter? Well, there's sin in the camp. And sin had stolen the power from the Israelites. They didn't have the power to overtake even, even such a little, little village. And that reminds me of how sin will rob the Christian of their power. When, when we have sin in our life, we're not going to have the power of God that we really need. And then sin erects a barrier between us and God. I thought about David over there in, in, in the 51st Psalm, how he's pleading with God to, to restore his fellowship and restore his joy. Uh, the blessings of God no longer flow when we're practicing sin in our life. And the fellowship with us is no longer sweet. His love for us is often not felt anymore. You know, uh, sometimes people come and they say, you know, uh, Pastor, I'm struggling in my Christian life and I feel like God don't love me anymore. And sometimes they even say, uh, I, I feel like uh, uh, maybe I lost my salvation. And uh, when I hear that kind of a, a testimony, my first thought is, what's going on in their life that's come between them and God? And this is especially true with children. You know, sometimes children will get saved, and, uh, and they really will get saved. But then somehow they'll get some sin in their life, and they'll think that God don't love them anymore, and they, they, God, uh, they have to get saved again. And uh, when I deal with children, I'm, I try to be careful about that. You know, ask them, hey, did you get saved? Oh, yes, I did. Well, you, you only get saved one time. You don't ever... And then find out what the problem is that's making them feel like God don't love them anymore and that God has abandoned them. And you'll find out most of the time it's sin in their life that's broken that fellowship. His love for us just isn't felt. And it robs us of our joy. David prayed, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He had lost his joy. Why? Sin. Sin in his life with Bathsheba and his sin of having having Uriah killed and all that he did and the cover-up, and, and it was all weighing on him, and he, he didn't have that joy that he once had. He knew what it was to have the joy of the Lord, and now he knew he didn't have it, and he wanted it back. Our security is often shaken when we have sin in our life. This broken fellowship is similar to that which occurs between a young person who rebels against his or her parents and disobeys them. There's this chasm of of, uh, between them, and uh, we know how that is in, in family relationships. Sometimes there's, there's, there, there's a break in fellowship, and uh, that can happen in our Christian life. So we need to be careful about sin in our life because when we sin, our fellowship with God is broken. And then number two, when we sin, we get out of the center of God's will. Go over to Romans chapter 12. 
Look at the first two verses there. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we sin, we get out of that good and perfect will of God. God's will for every Christian is simply this, that we live for him. Now, sometimes people say, well, preacher, I just don't know God's will for my life. No, what, what you really don't know is God's plan for your life. God's will is revealed to us in his word. His will is this, live for him. Very simple, isn't it? Sounds simple, but it's a battle. But that's his will for every believer, that we will live for him. Uh, God's will for every Christian, we live for him. Those who practice sin then must of a necessity be out of the will of God. And we understand that as saved people, we're no longer our own. We're not our own masters anymore. We've been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And uh, we then are we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, the Bible says, which are his. You know, sometimes people say, well, I can do what I want. It's my body. If you're a believer, it's not. If you're a believer, your body belongs to him. Amen. And we're answerable for that. And God has a plan and a purpose for every child of his. And you know, when, when we go off into sin, we leave God's perfect will and move to a place of self-will. And I found this out, and uh, any Christian who's, who's tried to live in the will of God knows this. The center of God's will is the best, safest, and easiest way for a child of God to live. Amen. And I've often likened the will of God to this aisle and my own will this aisle. Now, God has blessings, and, and he'll be with me and all and help me uh, when I'm in his will in this aisle. But if I want to go over here in my own will, he'll let me, but it's not going to be easy going. So we need to stay in the will of God. The center of God's will is the best, safest, and easiest way. He's there to help us through it all. And those who abandon God's will find the going very lonely, very difficult. Uh, when you talk to backslidden Christians, you'll find out they're some of the most miserable people in the world. Why? They're having such a hard time in their life. Why are they having a hard time? Uh, as the Lord told Paul, you're kicking against the pricks. You're going upstream. You're going uh, against God's will. And that's not the place of blessing. So, we know that we need to avoid sin in our life because our fellowship with God will be broken. And because when we sin, we get out of God's will. But then there's this. When we sin, we put ourselves in line for God's chastening. Mm, go over to Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 19. Verse 19. Now, God's speaking to the church at Laodicea. Christ is speaking to the church at Laodicea. And he says this in verse 19. 
as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And then over in Hebrews chapter 12, go over to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. It says there, beginning with verse 3, For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Listen, when we live with sin in our life, God of a necessity is going to have to chasten us. It says there, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Uh, he's telling us there, if you can sin openly and willingly, and there's no chastening from the Lord, then you better check up because... Uh, sounds like you're not saved. Amen? That's what it says there. And uh, so the chastening of the Lord is not a pleasant thing, but one thing, uh, one blessing, if you will, about the, the chastening of the Lord when we go off into sin is it shows us we're still saved. We're his. God don't chasten his, uh, those who aren't his children. He chastens his children. And it says whom he loves, he chastens. Well, when we sin, we put ourselves in line for that chastening. And God promises that to us. God's chastening is that corrective discipline that we have need of. God don't chasten us in anger. He's not some big ogre up there looking to, to zap us when we do something wrong. No, no, no. He don't chasten us in anger. And he doesn't chasten us to get even with us. You know, sometimes parents are guilty of this. They discipline their children to get even with them. Mm -mm -mm. Don't look at me that way. You've probably done it. We've all probably done it. We get so upset with something our children did, uh, we chasten them, not because we're trying to correct them and get them to do the right thing, but because they violated something we said, and we do it to kind of get even with them. But God never operates that way. When he chastens us, it's always to try to get us back to where we need to be. Corrective discipline, and it's for our own good. God's chastening is corrective. And God chastens out of love uh, to motivate his children to forsake the sin before it harms him uh, or even those around him. And God's chastening is, is to help us so that we don't, we don't feel the effects, the terrible effects of sin, that we'll get right before uh, bad things happen. Now, as I think about the chastening of the Lord, I believe God has three levels of chastening. And uh, number one, he speaks to us. When you're in sin, God will let you know about it. Hmm? That, that pricking in your heart that you feel or that, that burning in your heart, you know, when the preacher touches on that, whatever that particular sin you're involved in is, you know, and, and you say, ooh, uh, that burning, I call it spiritual heartburn, hmm? that tongues won't help and Rolaids won't help and Maylocks won't help. What's that all about? That's God convicting your heart. 
He's telling you, hey, there's something wrong. You need to get it right. So he speaks to us. Uh, you know, that's another thing about prayer. Oftentimes, when you've got something wrong in your life and you go to your prayer time, God will re- bring that thing up to you. God will reveal that to you about, hey, we got a, we got a situation here. we got a problem here that you need to take care of. He will speak to us. He'll let us know that he's aware of what's going on in our life and we need to correct it. So the first thing he does when we get off into sin is he speaks to us that we might get it right, get confessed up. But then when we don't respond to his speaking to us, now he spanks us. Mm-mm-mm. Spiritual spanking. And what that is is the difficulties and the hardships, the trials, the troubles, the calamities that he allows into our life that he's trying to get our attention and he's, tr- he's trying to let us know you're on the wrong path. You're on the hard path. You're going your own way. And I can't help you there. And uh, getting, trying to get our attention to get us back where we need to be. And listen, when there are negative things that come into your life, one of the first things you should ask is, Lord, is there something that I need to correct? Is there something that you're trying to get my attention about? Amen. And uh, then if he shows us, then uh, we need to take care of it. So first he speaks, and then he spanks, and then he separates. Mm-mm-mm. This is somewhere we don't want to be. It's called the sin unto death. And over in 1 John, I believe it's chapter 5, he talks about there is a sin unto death. Now, you say, well, what sin is that? That's the sin where God has, has spoken to us and we did not respond. And he's chastened us, and we did not respond. And now we're, we're in some way damaging our testimony and his testimony, and he's, he just takes us home early. Yeah, death. And I know people who have gone through that. There was a young man back at Faith Baptist Church. Uh, I've told you the story before how he, he was in drugs and, and uh, alcohol and immoral lifestyle, and uh, he got saved. And God cleaned him up. But this young man struggled with his sin. And he fell back into it a few times. And, and uh, he would go to Pastor Fidena and confess and ask, uh, call on the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive him and, and uh, get back in and start doing right again. And, and uh, this happened a few times. And he finally went to Pastor Fidena one day and he said, Pastor, I can't live like this. I keep trying to do the right thing, and I keep stumbling, and I don't want to be a dad, bad testimony for the Lord. And he said something to this, to this I, I don't know his exact words, but he said something like this. I've told God if I go back into any of that ever again, I want him to take me home. You know, it wasn't long after that, I got a phone call one Saturday morning, and uh, somebody from the church called and said, did you hear about D. Disharoon was the fellow's name. I said, no, I hadn't heard anything. They said he was killed last night. I said, are you serious? Oh, yeah, he was in a car wreck, and he was killed. You see, what happened was he had gone back into that lifestyle, and God took him at his word. He ran into a bridge abutment, a cement bridge abutment, uh, with a little Volkswagen bug, if you remember what those were, and, and was killed. But the officer who investigated the accident said this. He said, I don't understand that. He said, but I believe that man was dead before he ever hit that abutment. Hmm. 
God will take people home early. Dr. Gray told us about one of his deacons that wouldn't forsake his sin, and, and Dr. Gray had to pray the Lord take him out of the way because he was causing havoc and difficulty, and uh, God took him right out of the way. See, God has the bounds of our life set. I believe with all my heart, God has a time for us to go home and be with him. I don't think we can outlive that. But I think we can shorten our lifespan. And I believe it's through sin and uh, not being repentant and not turning from it to where he has to discipline us and take us home. Well, then there's a fourth reason why we need to be not practicing sin in our lives. Our sin has a devastating effect on other people. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 7, you can go over there if you will. And you know, we just finished a study on the book of Romans, and uh, we, we see how that, that thing of chastening is so true and how God would chasten them until they repented. And then when they repented, he would send a deliverer. And the sad thing is, they would come and get right with God for a little while, but the next thing you know, they would go back into it. Very sad when that happens. So we're over here in chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 7. Paul says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. No, no man's an island. No man lives to where his, his life doesn't affect other people in some way. And oftentimes, we have more effect on people than we really realize. Now, if we're living in sin, our sin can lead other people to go into sin. We may entice them to get involved in what we're involved in. Not only that, we can lead others to sin by enticing them, but we can also set a wrong example for them. You know, people watch us. Unsaved people watch us. Saved people watch us. We need to be careful about what we do because we might get involved in something that will drag somebody else into that because they'll think it's okay. They see us doing it. You know, the Bible says we shouldn't cause a weaker brother to stumble. Sometimes there are some things we shouldn't do. Uh, maybe they're not even sinful things, but we shouldn't do them because it might cause somebody else to have a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, I have my Christian liberty. You don't have liberty to sin, but that's another message. So our sin can lead other people to sin. Our sin can cause others to backslide on God. Sometimes others are hurt by our sins, and they take it out on the Lord. You know, years ago with Pastor Fidenda, there was a, a staff member that got involved with one of the young teenagers there. And uh, it came out in the open, and we had to do church discipline and all, and it's very messy, uh, so sad. But, you know, that man was the, the, the youth pastor. And I, I noticed that, and we watched this happen, and it's sad that it did, but the young people in that youth group, when he was a youth pastor, most of them are out of church. Most of them are not living for the Lord. And I believe it's because of what that man did destroyed their faith. We need to be careful about what we do. We can destroy other people. 
We have responsibility. Sometimes people see, see Christians in sin and uh, they take it out on God. And that's what, that's what a lot of those kids in that youth group did. Others see our example and they think it's okay to imitate us. Our sin can keep others from being saved. Say that again. Our sin can keep other people from getting saved. How many times do we hear people say, well, I don't want to hear anything you have to say because I know so-and-so and they're a hypocrite and they say they're a Christian. Hmm? See, they're seeing some Christian who's carnal and living in sin and they're saying he's a hypocrite and now it's keeping them from wanting to listen to the gospel message. Sometimes they see Christianity as a sham and a farce and that's because of what they're watching people do. I remember when I was working at that can company, one of the fellows there was talking with me on break, and he was telling me how uh, that week a friend of his uh, that he went to high school with had come back home. He had been away for a while. This fellow had come back home, and he says, this was his terminology, uh, when the young man was away from home, he got religion. Well, apparently this young man had gotten saved somewhere, and now he came back home. And when he first told me that, I was kind of getting excited, thinking, well, here's another witness for this guy. You know, I had about tried to be a witness to him, and now here's, here's one of his buddies going to come back and be a witness to him. And then I was so disappointed when he, when he continued in his conversation. He said, yeah, he came home. We went down, had a few beers, and, and, uh, and talked together, and and, uh, you know, he said, he's, he, he's just like one of us. And my heart sank. I've said many times, if we're just like them, we have nothing to offer. And I wonder if that, if that man would ever get saved because of what he saw there. We need to be careful about sin in our life. Our sin can keep other people from coming to Christ. Hmm. That's a heavy burden to carry, but we have to carry it, and we have to live with that responsibility. We're, we're supposed to be the light to the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're to be lighthouses to people, beacons showing them the right way. You know, a lighthouse with a dirty lens is not very much good. Hmm? You read about those old lighthouse keepers. My hat goes off to them, climbing those steps every day. And, uh, but they would clean that lens every day, make sure it was nice and bright. Why? Because lives depended on it. And that's how our testimony needs to be. We need to make sure it shines nice and bright. Why? Because lives depend on it. And I, I, don't want, I don't want anybody to be in hell because of my testimony. Amen? And I don't even want anybody to say, you know, I don't want to hear what you have to say because of that Pastor Gilmore. No, 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 a thousand times no. But when we live in sin, when we have ongoing sin, that, that's a potential, that's possible because we can't be the light we're supposed to be. Our lens isn't clean and our light isn't shining brightly as it ought. So we need to purpose in our hearts not to practice sin. And my heart aches because I believe too many Christians are failing in this particular area.
There are too many powerless Christians today. Too many Christians who are out of God's perfect will. And we have the remedy right in front of us here in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, we can have the victory over sin. Uh, Paul says, thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have the victory over our sin, but we, need to, we have to want it. And I believe there's a lot of Christians who just don't want the victory. They want to enjoy their sin. Well, there'll be a price to pay. And you may not be the only one paying the price of your sins. Sad, sad. So we need to be careful. We need to confess. We need to repent. We need to get back in fellowship with the Lord. The dangers of sin in the believer's life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And friend, if you have sin in your life, you don't need to confess it to me or anybody else who's a human being. Your sin needs to be confessed to the Lord. He is the mediator between God and man. There is only one, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have sin in your life, you need to come to him tonight. You need to confess it and agree with him about it. Quit trying to cover it up. Quit trying to justify it some way, somehow. Quit thinking it's not so bad. Every sin is bad. And confess it and forsake it so that God don't have to chasten you. Maybe you've been hearing his voice as he's speaking to you about something in your life that needs to change, but you haven't changed it. Maybe tonight's the night that you need to say, okay, Lord, I want to get right with you, and I want to be right with you, and confess your sin. Might be that tonight you have confessed your sin and you are walking with the Lord and walking in the light. You need to thank God for that ability and that opportunity that he allows us to walk with him and fellowship with him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many believers could honestly say, I believe I'm walking in the light, 